Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Continuing this series, uh, one yes at a time, because we recognise that we're all in this room for one reason or another, because we want to try be able to figure it out a little bit better. Like there's all parts of all of our lives which we wish that we could change. But as we study the, the ways and the, the methods and the, the words of Jesus, it becomes really evident that more often than not, he asks us just to say yes once at a time. So that's what we're continuing our series this morning. And I'm really excited about what we're, we're talking about today because the, uh, the topic is so ingrained in the healthiest people that I know. And it's such a, a rich part of the fabric of the best communities that I know. And so I think it's a really powerful, really impactful thing that we're talking about this morning. But the downside of it is, is that it is a little bit of an inconvenient truth. <laughs> it is a little bit of a, one of those dissatisfying truths which we sort of grumble and have to work through before we can really taste and truly experience with a great deal of freedom. But before I get to talking about what that is, I was just reflecting about my own life, as I often do, and I often think about some of the different things that make a big difference or made a big difference, good or bad, as I've grown up over the years, whether it be through childhood or my, my youth years or as a young adult or whatever, old man now, whatever the case might be. And I wasn't expecting a sympathy laugh, guys. Um, and as I, I often reflect on these things because I want to I be able to identify the things that I want to keep doing and keep connected towards and also the things that I need to turn away from or need to let go of so I can continue to walk in the freedom that Jesus invites me to participate in that free, abundant, blessed, peaceful life that he has on offer for each and every single one of us. And as I was sort of contemplating this question, as I often do, I always, or one of the first things that comes to my mind as I think about my story is the way that I've been so blessed in, the, in the, the rooms that I've been able to position myself in, in the people that I've been able to position myself under. And I've thought about all these times and all these years, especially as a, a kid and as a teenager, where I was put in positions simply just to serve. <laughs> there used to be a, uh, a man in this church who was the kids' pastor and youth pastor, and his name was David Dingamance. And I owe a lot of who I am to that man. Not because of anything that he said or did or anything, any of his gifts or skills or abilities, although he had all of those things to some degree. But the thing that impacted me more than anything was the opportunity to be able to serve every single week. I remember as a kid coming to church and setting up kids' church down at Riverside High School. And that used to be a far bigger job than what it is here nowadays. And I remember trying to carry speakers that were too big for me to carry. I remember uh, carrying rolls of carpet that would scratch at me. I remember carrying the dress-ups, I remember carrying tables, and I remember doing all of this stuff before and after church. And I remember as a youth, I remember as a teenager meeting down at the, in the youth shed down there that's now the NOS shed, and I remember getting there after school and sweeping it out because it, it always seemed to be dusty, it always seemed to be dirty. I remember moving the couches in and out, I remember taking the rubbish out, I remember doing all these things, I remember setting up for church, I remember rolling out chairs, rolling out tables, packing them up, we had an evening service back in the day as well, so it was morning and night. I remember year after year after year, it was this constant thing of having an opportunity to come and just simply just serve, simply just be under 
and in proximity to, to another leader. And then it didn't just end there, though. <laughs> like, as a teenager, as a young man, like, all that you want to do is sleep in on the weekends. And, but for, David was forever calling me up saying, oh, Jono, I need your help. <laughs> and so he'd come and pick me up or whatever and we'd go out and we'd just do the most meaningless task. He just needed an extra set of hands. So we'd go out to the old kid's paradise and clean it or we'd have to go down and, like, I don't know, push dirt around or whatever. But there was this constant theme in my life of, of just serving and through that, like, I genuinely mean that, this, through that I received so much. I received identity, I received skills, I received gifts, I received, received abilities, I received maturity, I received wisdom. I received all of this stuff and all these things that defined me in my early years that was far beyond David's capacity to give to me. There was something else that happens, there's something further, there's something deeper. Like David didn't possess all of those things in that quantity type thing, but there's something extra that I received and it's this thing called serving, it's this blessing of, called service. So this inconvenient truth that I alluded to before, it's this thing that I've been pondering lately, and perhaps you can ponder with me this morning, we can think about if it might be true or not. But I've been pondering about humility. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And the question that I've been wondering about is, I wonder if humility is not the antidote to the, to the sickness of the soul, or if not the entire part, uh, jigsaw um, puzzle, at least it's a, it's a big piece of it. That maybe, just maybe, humility expressed through servanthood how may I serve you, that servanthood? And maybe, just maybe, that's the cure for our communities. That's the question that I've been pondering a lot lately, and as I look back over my life, I can see it deeply ingrained within so much that I've experienced. So this morning, to sort of unpack this question and, and look at this truth of servanthood and humility and how they go hand in hand together and how perhaps, just perhaps, they're the way of Jesus, we're going to Look at a really famous story of Jesus. It's one that just about everybody knows of. It's found in John 13. So if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to there. But the little, um, little hint, I suppose, is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Like we've all, many of us have heard this story. It's a, it's a famous, famous story. And it's a scandalous story because the thought of the, the greatest leader, the healthiest man that ever lived, the most impactful man that ever lived, that he would reduce himself to the position of a slave, of a servant, and do the most meaningless, most painful, most humiliating task available to wash their feet. It's scandalous. And it's where we get this concept of servant leadership. It's where we get so much of this idea and, uh, and theology around servanthood from. And so I want to... There's a lot in this story, so we're just going to pick up on two or three of the main points, but that's what I'd like to talk about. But basically, the context of the story starts like this. Jesus and his disciples are re-entering back into Jerusalem, back into the holy city, and there's this massive parade that's thrown, that's fit for a king returning from a, a, a defeating a far-off enemy, right? There's crowds and crowds of people lining the streets... The crowd's going crazy, they're in awe, they just cannot wait to see, just catch a glimpse of this man called Jesus. And Jesus sends off his disciples ahead of him to book out a room, to book out a table for the Passover meal. And then and they do that, and so he enters, and they all sit around this, this dinner table, around this Passover table, around this Last Supper. And so this is Jesus' last night. So can you imagine being Jesus sitting here with your best friends at the, at the table here? You've just had the most honouring experience you could possibly think of. You're the most impactful leader that the world's ever known, but you also know that tonight's your last night of your life. That tomorrow, or tonight, you're going to be arrested for a crime that you haven't done, and you're going to be crucified. So can you imagine being Jesus sitting at this dinner table with your best mates, 
And the temptation just to receive all the honour and all the glory and use your privilege and your power just to enjoy the night. That's what I would do. But here at the dinner table, as he sits here, the disciples start to have this argument. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke records it, and they start to have this argument, and they're talking about who might be the greatest amongst them. They start poking holes in each other's resumes. They start taking little jabs at each other, saying, no, but I think I might be the greatest because of this. I can just imagine Jesus' pain (laughs) as he sat here at the table. You know, one of the most painful parts about my job things that maybe this is more about me than the job, is I absolutely despise it when I have to sit down with other Christian leaders and they just can't wait to tell me how great they are. <laughs> like, for me, that's so painful. I'm just like, oh, Dad, do you want to take this one? <laughs> like, I just can't help but roll my eyes. And as the disciples sat around this dinner table arguing about who amongst them might have been the greatest, I can't help but imagine that perhaps, just perhaps, Jesus sat there and he, he rolled his eyes too. But then something incredible happened. Jesus must have got up from the table and I, can only, I wish I was in the room. I can only imagine the way that the conversation might have started to quieten a little bit as they had noticed Jesus moving. So Jesus sat up, got up from the table because no servant had been booked to be able to wash their feet. They'd been walking all day along dirty, dusty highways, along dusty streets. There's animal waste everywhere. We'll use that word, animal waste. <laughs> everywhere on the street. So you can imagine how disgusting and how gross their feet must have been. And so here's the disciples arguing about who the greatest is, and Jesus gets up, and he takes off his robe, and he gets near naked, and he grabs a towel, and he puts a towel on around his waist. And I can just imagine the disciples with their words trailing off into silence in shock and just curiosity of what was going to happen. And I can imagine their gasps as Jesus comes around the table and as he kneels down with the water and he begins to wash their feet. It's this amazing picture of servanthood. We might pick up the story from this part in the story, hey? So can we have that first slide there, Georgia? So, John 13. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. Just think about that. Judas, the man that's going to betray him, is also in this room. Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. It's all right, we'll just leave it just there, Georgia. So this first bit that I want to point out is just Jesus was motivated by love. I want you guys to think about a time in your life where perhaps your, um, perhaps your spouse is here today. Maybe you can take a quick look at them. Maybe you can think about the time, the moment that it all began. You know, you had that little crush for a long, long time. The butterflies, the excitement, the, you might be sleepy, you might be bored, and then all of a sudden you hear this whisper that, oh, Eric has entered the room. You jolt upright like as if a, a bolt of lightning's just hit you. You know, you've got that, that contagious, that excitement, love just building within you. And it comes to a point, doesn't it? It comes to a moment. There's a moment in the story of your relationship where your love is so great that you just have to find out whether it's reciprocal. There's a, the love is just so great. You're just so compelled by love. You're so motivated by love that you're willing to be embarrassed 
to see if they like you too. You're willing to be humiliated because you want to hear them say the words, I love you too. I remember sitting in a cafe with Erica on our first date. Erica's watching the stream from home today because she's a little bit tired, so hello, Erica. But sitting here at this table, and I remember I just kept, I fidgeted at the best of times, but there were these sugar sachets on the table, I just remember just fidgeting them with the wrong stuff as we sort of, yeah, I like you too, sort of thing. But sometimes when love is so great, when we're motivated by love to such an extent, we're willing to be humiliated, we're willing to take the place of embarrassment. And here in this story, Jesus' love for his disciples was so great, he was willing to take on the task that nobody else would want to do. He was willing to take on the, the, the place, the servant role of humiliation, the one that the least of the servants would have had to have taken on because he was motivated by love. You know, Jesus loved his disciples. He wasn't doing this in an expression of gratitude or thanks. This was so much deeper, like his disciples couldn't have earned this love. This was true love. This is the love that is grace, that it's a gift. Jesus was motivated by this deep compassion, this deep desire to love. And then we'll keep going. George, let's see what else it has to say. Just this one slide, perfect. So going on, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew, he knew, he knew. This is the second point about this story that I want to pick up upon, that Jesus had true esteem. And what I mean by that is we talk about self-esteem all the time. We talk about understanding who we are all the time. We talk about good self-esteem and low self-esteem. Jesus had true, self, true esteem because he knew his value. He knew where he was from. He knew his father. He knew how he'd been created, but he also knew where he was going. And this created a security and a rock upon which he could then lower himself into positions of servanthood and into positions of humility as he was doing here and washing the disciples' feet. C.S. Lewis talks about how self-esteem, about how humility rather, about how humility is... Let me get this right. I always butcher this one wrong. It's about thinking of yourself less. No. It's not about thinking about less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less often. I got there in the end. There we go. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not about thinking less of yourself. That's humility. It's not about thinking less of yourself, thinking that you're a rubbish human being or that you don't deserve it, you're not worthy or anything like that. But rather, it's thinking of yourself less often. That's what true humility is. And that's what we see in Jesus here. We see this amazing security. But if we were to take a step outside of Jesus here and look at the disciples, I wonder, and at us, I wonder how much healthier we would be if we were like Jesus and secure enough to be able to take the position of a servant, take that position of humility, rather than clamoring for the, the honor seat on the table. Because so often that's what we do, isn't it? We clamor for this privilege seat. We clamor for this honor seat. We want everybody to, to esteem us. We want everybody to wash our feet. We want people to say, yeah, Johnny, you're so great. Yeah, Jack, you're so awesome. Caleb, you're so good at soccer. Do you know what I mean? We clamor for this thing and we, we seek attention and we seek words of affirmation and we seek all of this stuff. We seek this power and privilege position at the table and yet how much healthier would we be if instead of seeking this seat, we stood and then knelt and washed the feet of others? Let me give you an illustration. It wasn't long ago that I was in a small group with some young people, and I, this is one of the stories where I'm not a good person. So a little disclaimer. And we're having this small group conversation, and, and one, of the, one of the girls discloses something that's super sensitive, super beautiful. She discloses, like, 
moments of trauma, moments of heartache, moments of pain in her past. And as she does that, she's making herself naked before the group, isn't she? She's saying, this is who I am, this is my story. And while she's here, like, opening up and, and unloading like this so that she can receive, like, all the wonderful uh, graces that comes with the gospel, these two boys in our small group, they just kept snickering. They just kept laughing. They kept distracting. And I could just feel this steam start to rise within me. I felt this anger start to rise within me. I'm pretty sure my, red, my face was as red as a beetroot. I could feel the steam coming out of my ears and coming out of my nose. And I just stood up and I just exploded. I was like, that's it. Get out. You here, you here. <laughs> and I just exploded. I just couldn't help myself. And then obviously I had to go and apologize and say, yeah, that was my bad. I'm not perfect either. There's no perfect people in church. But what was happening in that story was that those boys, they were so insecure, they were so insecure and they were so desperate for attention to feed that deepest needs of their soul, that deepest uh, desire, that hunger and that thirst, that even in a moment where someone else was so worthy and so needy, they still couldn't shut down that voice inside of them which said, give it to me, it's about me. Even in that moment, their insecurity was so loud that they just couldn't even see the need of others. And so sometimes I wonder if when we try to take this seat at the table all the time, are we so busy and so preoccupied in grabbing all the stuff so that we can hold on to it? And in so doing, we become so sick. Whereas Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew who he was. I think with true humility, when we take on that posture of servanthood, it reveals that we've got a security about who we are. We understand our esteem. Mm. Let's go on to the last one here, Georgia. Oh, yeah, sorry, this bit here. Next part of the story. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. That's what we spoke about. Next one. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I loved it. That's perfect, Georgia. I love that. This is the third part of the story that I want to pick up on. There's so much in this story, but we've only got time for these three major points Then the closing one. So this part here. Jesus took the initiative. That's what humility and that's what servanthood does. It takes the initiative. Jesus didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, can you come and start a, a, a feet-washing ministry? <laughs> Jesus took the initiative because that's what humility and that's what servanthood does. That's why I love hospitality because as we come up and as we say, how may I serve you? The true essence of hospitality and of service is, is anticipating the need of the customer and serving it before they even have a moment to express it. That's what servanthood means. That's what humility allows us to see. It's like a superpower because we can see the needs of others so early and so fast. It enables us to take initiative. When Michael and I were tragically trying to do function work years and years ago, we're definitely not the A team. We used to call ourselves the A team. But Caleb, after seeing how your teams operate, you guys are definitely the A team. But Michael and I used to run these functions and we used to do this hospitality and inevitably we would just talk about which staff we got along well with, which staff we didn't get along well with and why. And it became a pretty short list pretty quickly because we always set it on the same people. And the common denominator was always... Do they have initiative? Can they see the need of the client and meet that need and service that need all on their own? Do they take responsibility when they see someone else's pain or someone else's desire? Or do they have to require me to micromanage it? Do you know what I'm saying? 
Humility allows us to see the need and anticipate the need. And if we're in that posture of servanthood, we can meet that need. So that means that for that elderly couple next door, when their gardens are overgrown and they simply just can't operate a lawnmower and they can't afford a landscaper, rather than waiting for the church to start a garden ministry, maybe we can just hop over the fence and mow that lawn. Maybe rather than having to wait for the right ministry team to be created, we can just say, hey, I've got a spare day. Is there anything that I can do? Oh, my, my colleague at work, they've got a son that's ill. You know what? I can just drop, drop a meal around to them. This is what servanthood is. This is what humility is. But you see, if we don't have that humility and if we're on that posture of servanthood, we don't even see the need. We're like the disciples sitting at the table and we're just like, yeah, my feet stink. So what? Who's going to wash it? But when we take on that posture of humility like Jesus is, is just desiring us to do, we see the need and we can make a real difference. We're going to skip towards the end of the story because, this, again, there's so much we can pull out. But um, we're going to pick up the last part of the story from now. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Did you know that as far as I can tell, Perhaps someone can correct me after church, but this is the only time Jesus said explicitly that this is an example that I want you to follow. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. See, church, we're all in this room for one reason or another, because we all want to experience a little bit more of the blessing that Jesus has on offer for us. We're all trying to figure this thing called life out. I think sometimes we look too hard for the answers. Jesus is explicit. He says, if you do these things, you'll be blessed if you do them, right? You'll be blessed if you do them. How much more explicit do we need it said to us? You'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. If we take on that posture and ask that question of how may I serve you, you'll be blessed if you do them. You know, Jesus' way is topsy-turvy and it's upside down. It's why we call servant leadership the upside-down triangle, (laughs) the upside-down pyramid. Because it doesn't make sense until you experience it and then it makes all the sense in the world. But it flips it upside down. And so when we're hungry... Rather than sitting at this table and saying, oh, I'm hungry, if we're instead willing to wait on the table and say, how may I serve you, what you'll find is that you're filled and that your hunger subsides. We say, I am thirsty, someone bring me another round of drinks. We say, fill my needs, meet my needs. But Jesus says, you're blessed when you take on that posture of the servant and say, how may I serve you? See, it's only then that our thirst is quenched. We feel like we're invisible, so we make noise in small groups. We disrupt it, we talk and trample over the top of another person's story because we feel invisible. But it's only when we take on the the posture and and the the position of a servant which is truly invisible that we are then seen. Jesus' way is upside down and it doesn't make sense. But I truly believe that humility is the cure to the the question that you have not yet asked. That it's the, the antidote to the sickness of the soul and it's the cure for our communities. Let me give you one last illustration. So 
Many of you guys would know about the amazing organisation Bravehearts. Bravehearts is incredible. So some years ago, there was a really public case of some horrific child abuse. Horrific. And there were people in this room, people in this church that said, you know what, kids, I'm motivated by love. I'm motivated by love and I see your need. I can, and rather than waiting for the government to do something about it, I'm going to step in and I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to rattle some cages and I'm going to do something. I understand my own worth. I understand my own place in the world. I've got my own esteem. I'm secure enough. I can come and I can do something about this. So there were people in this room that decided to do something about it. And so they invited Bravehearts into the world, into Tasmania. And Bravehearts now does so many amazing things. Bravehearts educates tens of thousands of children every single year. It lobbies government. It provides education and training and counselling. It does amazing works in this space. But something fundamental happened early in this partnership between Tarrace and Bravehearts. You see, people from Tarrace gave huge investment, time, talent, treasure to make it happen. But there was enough humility that was in the room amongst those people that they decided that they didn't need the Tarrace logo all over it. They didn't need the recognition and the esteem, right? They were willing to take that place of humility. Because you see, what would have happened if Tarrace had insisted on receiving the glory for brave hearts, it would have been choked and received an early death. Instead, brave hearts is now flourishing and our communities are better for it. But how many people know that if it weren't for a group of people at Tarrace, it wouldn't be here? You see... Jesus invites us into a different way of life in which we're not trying to build up our own resume, but instead we're trying to build and advance the kingdom of God. He's inviting us to a way of life where we're not trying to just build up our own fame and glory, but rather make the name Jesus great again, rather than the name Tarrace great again, or rather than making the name Jono great again, or making the name of whatever great again. Jesus is inviting us into a different way of life, and it's only found when we take on that posture of servanthood. Mikey, you can come grab this one, I reckon, mate. So how do we do it? How do we do it? We talked about how Jesus was motivated by love. He had true esteem. Motivated by love, true esteem. Everyone's distracted. Motivated by love, true esteem. And he took the initiative, right? I can hear you saying, but Jono, how do I do this? How can I say, how do I serve? How do I make that the catch cry of my life? How can I say, how can I serve when I don't feel like I'm right in either of those three things? Let me quickly address each of them. Ben, you guys can all come up to eh? Motivated by love. If you wait until you feel compelled by love enough to do something, you'll never do something. It's impossible to fall in love and be compelled and motivated by love when you stay at a distance. Jesus says, blessed are you when you do. (laughs) You actually have to get close. You have to get in proximity first. You have to see the face of people like Will in our world before you feel compelled and motivated by love to take on a posture of a servant. Your esteem, I don't feel secure enough to be able to do it. I don't feel like as if I've got anything to give to be able to do it, to be able to say, how may I serve you? You know, I truly believe, I truly 100%, all of my being believe that you cannot fully find your identity in who you are unless you serve others. 
You see, when we start to serve others, something spiritual happens and we start to receive and we start to understand more of how Christ has created us. <laughs> I never see the need. I can't anticipate the need. I don't know where and how to take the initiative. Just start with something small. <laughs> Next time somebody talks to you and opens up about just a little annoyance or pain or heartache in their life, just think to yourself, how may I serve you? And it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. But unless we ask that question, we never see the need because we're always so consumed with our own needs. Why don't we all stand up on our feet? We're going to close the service in a minute because I know Selena's probably stressed about the time. <laughs> all right, I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to join in the creative team. But if you want to get your hands dirty, if you want to get your hands dirty like what Jesus did, if you feel convicted and compelled in your heart where you want to say, Jesus, help me be humble, help me take on the posture of servanthood. I know so many in this community already do, but if you want to just say, Jesus, yeah, that's me today, why don't we just raise our hands? I'm ready to have my hands dirty. How may I serve you? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every person with their hands raised high in this room, and I just pray that as we lift our names, our hands high, that your name may be raised even higher. I pray that you may help us to fall ever more in love with you and the world around us. pray that you may help us discover our true esteem and that we might be able to meet the needs and people around us and in so doing be blessed personally and corporately. And everybody said... hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series which is available for you over at tauracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.